You're now listening to the I Got Fired Last Week podcast, where we discuss the challenges and opportunities around being out of work. If you're feeling lost, overwhelmed, uninformed, or simply uninspired, there's something here for you. I'm your host, Sam Eremarin, and along with my guests, we're here to walk on this journey together. Stay tuned. Greetings all. Um, this is your host, Samuel Eremarin. This is the I Got Fired Last Week podcast, where we discuss everything from the redundancy to the reimagination of your career. I'm super, super, super excited. Um, the guest that I have on here now, firstly, you'll probably see is significantly taller than me. But secondly, <laughs> um, the reason why this is so important to me is that, um, as I'm sure you all know, I got made redundant in June. And when I did, um, I put some feelers out and I told some people about my process. Hey, this happened to me. I can't believe the firms did this, etc. And one of my friends said, you need to speak to my friend. Now, when people say that, there's usually an assumption that that person is kind of at least on the same level or on the same page. You know, like I'm lamenting, they're lamenting, here we are. We met in um, central London. Firstly, King's Cross and St. Pancras should really be the same station because we were <laughs> faffing about <laughs> for a while trying to find out where we would end up. But um, we got there in the end and we met up and the chemistry was electric. Even as we were walking, great conversation. We went to go get some steak. And I realized very, very early in the process, we're not in the same place at all. Um, he had a certain joy. There was a, like, imagine, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in my process. I'm lamenting. I'm like, I can't believe this happened to me. What am I going to do? He was like, I'm having a great time. I got me redundant too. I, don't, I was just like, there's clearly <laughs> some discrepancy between the way that I see this and the way that he sees this. But it was such a beautiful conversation. It rocked me. I still think about it to today. It, it completely changed my perspective. It changed the way that I think. It changed the way that um, I perceived or thought about redundancy. So it only made sense that when I finally started to think of who am I going to get in terms of guests, he was just on my mind. Now, the enemy tried it. <laughs> we thought we weren't going to get the podcast space. I said, are we going to do it on Zoom? Maybe we're not in the same room, but I knew it wouldn't have been the same. So we did some stuff. We're here. Um, I'm not going to tell you who he is because I want him to introduce himself. But it is a privilege. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to bring to the podcast. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that is an amazing intro and it's an absolute honor to be here. So for those of you listening, my name is Tolu um, Adebekan, originally Nigerian, came to the UK when I was two. Um, and for the last 12 years, I was working at Sky. Um, so I worked there from pretty much when I left university until the end of July. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm always thinking of where to start. I'm kind of putting myself back into that conversation. So the first thing that I did when you and I spoke is I shared my story on, here I am, I just got made redundant, this thing happened. What's your story? How did you get, you know, 12 years of sky is not a small, mm. you know, especially in a generation where we kind of prioritize the two years, three years, move on to the mm. 12 years of sky is a long time. Mm. Like, where did that start? So I want to preface this whole conversation by saying that I absolutely loved my time at Sky. I had quite a good career there in terms of every two to three years, I would get 
a promotion or progression. So I never needed to go elsewhere because I was getting pay rises similar to what I would get if I'd left the company. So I've had, I'm ever grateful to Sky. Sky for me is like, you know, when you leave home and you go to university, Mm. for me, Sky is home. And now that I've left Sky, it's like I'm going out into the big world, off to university to get my own place. But I had a a great time there. Um, So I started off on the graduate scheme and I was a business grad. So I did a business with communications degree. And when I was, you know, looking for jobs, I went to a like a grad fair and there was Sky, right? And Sky was like, it wasn't, it wasn't on my radar like that, sure. right? So I wanted to work for TK Maxx originally, <laughs> um, but I lost the card. I lost the card for TK Maxx. And then there was this USB that Sky had given me and I still had that. So I plugged it in, had a look through and I was like, okay, they had a, a comms grad scheme, which for me sounded perfect. So I applied for the comms grad scheme, instant rejection. I was like, you guys didn't even read my application. You just instantly rejected me. So I was bitter. And then they came back and they were like, we don't think this would work for you, but we think this one would work for you. And I was being stubborn. I was like, nope, you reject me. But something on the inside was just like, apply for the job. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. Kept coming, apply, apply, apply. So I applied for the job, got through to the first round. Then you have to do the tests, did all the tests, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept going through all the stages until like it, it was very clear this job was perfect for me. It was a rotational grad scheme. So I tried lots of different parts of the business. And then I figured analytics was my shortest rotation, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I didn't even know analytics was a thing before. I thought I'd be in sales and marketing, you know, but I hated it. I was terrible at it, but data, I loved it and I was good at it. And then this just kind of set off this whole chain of really, really good managers. I had the best managers from day one, you know, people who taught me how to play the game, because that's not something that you're often taught. You're often taught, you know, work really hard, you know, just do your work, face your books and your hard work will speak for you. No, it doesn't work that way. Your hard work doesn't speak for you unless you speak about it. You have to do some things to actually get your message out there. And this is what I'm doing. This is how it's impacting the business. But I had leaders who taught me that from day one. They said, you know, you need to be making your boss look good. They said, you need to find ways to take work from your boss so that then when promotion time comes, people think of you because they already know that you're operating at the next level. So I had just amazing bosses all the way through, started working in advertising. Um, And then maybe 10 years in, I was at kind of just before I head off level. So every two to three years, I'd kind of go up a level. Um, and then there was the opportunity to, to take a head of department role. So I did that. I moved out of kind of what I was comfortable with and moved into this head of department role. And that was just, it was just an amazing experience being head of department because it's the kind of thing where you look at your head of all the way through your career and you think, what do they really do? You know, like I'm doing the work. What do they really do? And then when I became a head of department, I called my old head of department and I said, Okay, I, now I understand. You know, he could talk to me head off to head off and we could have a great conversation. Um, but it just opened my eyes to so much about leadership, so much about playing the game the right way for your team, doing those different things. Because when you get to that level, you're still kind of, you're not really full leadership yet as a head of. You know, there are directors and C-suite and all that above you, but you're not a doer anymore. Sure. You know, so you're kind of caught in this weird in-between place. You're not really one of the guys anymore, but you're not one of them guys yet either. Yeah. Um, and it just it just showed me so much. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my my career journey within Sky. Um, and something I was always conscious of was that, look, I love working at Sky. Sky gave me my first opportunity. The only way I really wanted to leave was through redundancy. Because for me, I'm like, other places, they're not necessarily giving me what Sky's gonna give me anyway, right? So. I don't need to leave, but if the opportunity comes, why not? You know, why not? 
why not take some money to leave? And that sounds very weird to say, but that's how I've always felt about it is that, look, you can leave companies for free and people do all the time, right? <laughs> you can. But for me, I would have rather stayed there and figured out another role for myself, stayed there and figured out the next step for myself. But if you want to kind of, if the business doesn't want me to be there anymore and they're happy to pay me to go, cool. And that's one of the good things about England is that we have the statutory like rules and stuff like that, right? So that does protect people a little bit. But for me, it's kind of like, why not? I'm 34. Like any time from now, I'm cool. You know, even if I was early 40s, I'm still young. I can still go do something else. So for me, redundancy was always something that I was open to. Um, and I, to be honest, I kind of welcomed. So now if you're... <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I'm pausing is because hopefully everyone watching and listening can actually see, you realize that when a person is in a deep lament about, <laughs> you don't hear that. about just being, I got me redundant, it's the worst thing in the world. Here comes Tolly. <laughs> yeah, man, I love it. I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know where I think it comes from? Is that my dad, he worked at BAE Systems for a long time. He worked there for like 10 to 15 years. And at the end, they were offering people redundancy. And he asked for redundancy and they said no. So he was happy to go. And then for three years, I watched my dad be willing to take redundancy. Mm. So that's probably also what makes me feel the way that I feel. Sure. Because my dad got, you know, he got all his shares, you know, he could cash out his pension, he got cash money. So like, I've seen my dad go through it. I mean, my dad wanted it. My dad asked them for it. To the point where I think after a while, they called him into the office and they're like, do you still want to be made redundant? He's like, yes, <laughs> you know? So I've probably taken some of that and said, look, redundancy is not a bad thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's a really, like you can get a lot out of it if you, if you kind of take it the right way. Yeah. And I think, um, as you were given your first response, mm. the thing which I found really interesting was firstly, how you could use, I mean, it's, when I say how you could use it, to hear you say, I like, I loved my job. Mm. You know what I mean, like mm. I, I loved my time at Sky. Mm. That, I, I'd be lying if I said it puts me on edge. It doesn't put me on edge at all. Um, but I think that's very different to the way that we are, no, no. We are conditioned to think like that, but I don't know whether that conditioning has been helpful or harmful mm. because I think of a, a world <clears throat> where I end up loving my job, mm. but I'm still surplus to requirements. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I've now given myself, my time, my energy, my expertise to this thing. Mm. But I'm also very conscious that we're working in organizations that are profit maximizers and therefore... You know, they have to think of their bottom line. They have to think about annual and quarterly um, mm. budgets and all that sort of stuff. I I almost don't want to love it mm. because I feel like if I love it and they don't love me back, mm. then I run the risk of being in a relationship which I thought was mutually beneficial. And you and I spoke about this on day one. I said, I realized that they didn't love me the way that I thought they loved me. <laughs> Tolly was the person who, who actually like, when we had this conversation, he was like, um, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but here's what hit me so hard. Tolu said to me, Sam, they literally made you sign a contract mm. on the day you come. Like, this isn't mutually beneficial love. This mm. isn't like- This is contractual. It is. It's contractual love. And I think there's a few things to separate out, right? So one of the things is I loved my leaders. Yeah, so the managers that I had there, I loved working for them. I loved 
the learning that I got. I love the growth that I had. I love the opportunities that it afforded me, right? Is it sky as such that I love like that? Not necessarily. Sure. It's the bits that make it up. And even what I saw going through it, and I hope he's okay with this, but I saw how much it hurt my manager, right? Because think, this person picked me. He didn't inherit me. He built a team. He picked me. And now he has to get rid of his team. And that's the thing that sometimes people don't see the other side of, right? Because you can see how that affects someone. Yeah. And I could see that this isn't just that he wants to do it. This was a hard decision. And do you know what else it was? Is earlier in my career, I had to watch when my other boss had to consider making redundancies. And I saw it tore him up. He didn't want to do it, but it's come from the top down, people who don't know me, right? All they've said is you have to cut 10%. That's what you've got to do. Mm. My boss took no joy in it. So I made a decision when I was getting made, I was like, I told my boss, look, I'm here to make this as easy as possible for you because this can't be easy for you. I'm not trying to make this harder for you than it already is. And that's what sometimes we don't see in all of the redundancy stuff is that my boss doesn't necessarily want to do this either. Maybe they do. Maybe you're not going to worry. But like, you know, for me, my boss, I could tell like it hurt him because there were three of us, you know, and there were situations where like we all had to be at risk. And he you could just tell like he'd built this team. He'd chosen each one of us. Yeah. And that's not what he necessarily might have enjoyed doing. So I think that it's just this balance of what is it that I love about my job? I love solving problems. I love working for good people. I love adding value. And to be honest, I can do that wherever I am. So for me, it's like, if I'm here and I'm doing it, cool. If I'm not, I will happily do it somewhere else. And I've got this thing of like, you pay me now, will you pay me later? So whatever I'm doing now, I'm gonna get paid for, whether it's right now or in my next role, mm. don't care. I know the money is gonna come. So for me, it's like, if I'm doing it here, great. Happy to do it here with you. If you don't want me here anymore, that's okay. I will go and do it somewhere else. There are so many other places that can use my skill set. Where does your, where does your self-assuredness come from? And the reason why I ask that is I'm hearing you speak and, you know, I've, I've been quite clear that, you know, I'm inspired by your story. I'm inspired sort of in the way that you look at the world and the way that you look at work, you know, you, you were able to rise and ascend to a place, but still not be so attached to it that when it was time for you to leave and walk away, it was like, well, I can do that joyfully because I guess I've got from this what I wanted to mm. get from this. Mm. Where does that come from? Because I don't know, to your earlier point, I don't know if we are trained or conditioned to think like that. Mm. You know, mm. you, I I almost hear freedom. Mm. I hear, mm. you know, yeah, sure. Cool. Job, <laughs> no job. Cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, where, where does that come from? in a weird way, and this is gonna sound very weird, money is actually not that hard to make. And this has come from someone who's not a millionaire or anything like that. But when you really look at it, money is not that hard to make. There are really not smart people that make a lot of money, Sure, right? Often money is about turning up. It's about being consistent. It's about adding value. If you do those things, the money will come. So when I, when I was early in my career, I was asking them, which way should I go? because I want to earn the most money. And they said, don't worry about the money. The money will come. Be good at what you do and the money will come. So my background is sport, right? So I was a semi-pro basketball player, right? And I saw situations where I'm not the most talented. Mm -hmm. I'm six foot six, but actually as a basketball brain, my basketball brain is not good. I think too much. I overthink it. I, 
I can't remember the play, like it's a mess. But I was on very good teams and often they kept me because I worked hard. They kept me because I'm a glue person, because I love my teammates and I can bring that together. So that's good for the team. It, they didn't keep me there because of my talent. So I realized like being good at something isn't always about talent. If you can stick with something, you can work on. I worked hard. I'd improved myself in different things so that I can not be a liability. If I can do that, there's always going to be a place for me, right? Because that's, that's what basketball showed me. Like, even if I'm not, I'm not that good. Yeah. But I'm willing to get stuck in, willing to be a good teammate. That's going to get me everywhere I need to go. Same thing with this. Be a good teammate. Be someone that people want to have around. Add value. Sometimes adding value is just asking the right questions. Mm. And that's what people sometimes don't get, is that they think I have to know everything when I, no, 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 no. I, and I've had so many good leaders. Right? I had a leader who said, what I want for you is that you can go into any situation and I know that you'll ask the right questions and get to the right outcome. Even if you know nothing, even if you don't know what they're talking about, that is the skill set. So I don't rely on, I know everything. I rely on, I can figure it out. Mm. And that's my approach to that. I can figure it out. Nothing here, like other than like maybe putting man on the moon, that might be out of my like intellectual range. But most things that we're dealing with, it's not out of range. I can ask questions, understand the <clears> principles, <throat> put it together. I'm going to ask this almost tongue in cheek. Mm. If it's that easy, mm. why aren't we all doing it? Because we're scared. Because we're scared. People are scared to ask the question sometimes because they're thinking so like when i became a head of department people talk to you different as a head of department people respond to your emails differently they actually respond to your emails yeah, right they, <laughs> they actually respond to your emails sure. yeah so i was going into quite a technical area that i didn't have the expertise my team were way better than me yeah and some of the feedback that i got was that look i don't mind asking the questions that might seem dumb and that makes people feel comfortable because if me as the head of department is willing to say, I don't know what that means, explain it to me like I'm five. You know, why do we do that that way? Not just that's the way it's done, but okay, why do we do that? If I'm willing to do that, it sets the expectation for my team that they can do that. But a lot of times people think back to times when they didn't know and they've been chastised for not knowing. And that actually limits our creativity. That makes it so that we don't want to ask more questions. So I think some of it is that we're kind of groomed in society to not do that. You know, like, I think that sometimes being rich is seen as for those people over there. Sure. It's not seen as for us, you know? Like I remember when I started earning more than my parents, right? My parents rejoiced for that. And that's, you know, that's amazing. There was no jealousy there. That's, that's, that's their sacrifice. They did that so that I could do that, so that I could go further, you know? so. It just depends on your upbringing and your conditioning. But mine is kind of like, why not go big? Mm. You know, it, there's this thing of 10x is easier than 2x. I've read the book and I love it. <laughs> right? <laughs> One of my favorites. Yeah. But it's radical because it doesn't make yeah. sense. What do you mean? To 10x something is easier than to, to double it? How is that possible? But that's actually like, it's actually a thing, mm. you know? So it's some of those things where like, that's not what we're taught. You know, we're taught about... You know, well, if you do this, you'll get this. And if you do this, you'll get this. But it doesn't have to add up that way. There are so many different ways that things can go down. So many different ways that things can go down. And, you know, you're told, okay, you can't jump so quick. You can't do this. You can't do that. But actually, like, people do that. And if they can do it, why can't I do it? And that's the thing for me is that we're so... And this is what I learned from, from my degree and from my A-levels about media, culture, and society. The media 
and our culture and our society are all going towards a narrative. And I have to decide if I want to accept that narrative or not. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that people often aren't willing to challenge the narrative because they think bad things are going to come from it. But most of the time the narrative is challenged, good things come from it. Mm. You get freedom. Because that's really what I'm about is how can I be free? How can I be free? How can I not have to worry about this and that and that? How can I just be free? And if you seek that, like, you generally will figure it out. Humans are amazing. Absolutely amazing. Actually, okay. Let's do this first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I'm sure you guys can tell every time I speak to Tony. <laughs> I, because I don't just want to speak at him, I genuinely have to take it in. So as a verbal processor, I speak about things as they mm. sort of... Um, so firstly, for anyone interested, the concept of 10X being um, easier than 2X is basically, if you're thinking 2X, you're just going to end up doing more than you're currently doing now. You're just going to say, how do I do more? Mm. 10X thinking requires you to absolutely shift your mindset. If you're thinking, how do I do this 10 times better? Mm. You can't just do a bit more of it. You genuinely have to think abstract. You have to strip everything down to its core component and then say, okay, well, from the ground up, if I was going to do this 10 times better, what would that look like? And that's usually the thinking which propels you into your next fear. The thing which um, Tolu mentioned now, which is sitting with me, and I'll be honest, we actually spoke about this a bit before we started recording, was this concept that it's never usually as bad as we think it's going to be. (laughs) 100%. You know, like there's, for some reason, there's this almost like, it's almost binary. Mm. You know, it's good or it's bad. Mm. And the mm. spectrum that exists between those two Huge. worlds is so massive. Huge. Huge. <laughs> you know, it's like, and of course, some of you may maybe listen to, okay, get to the redundancy. Even before we get to the redundancy, there is a mindset mm. which has to exist. Mm. If you are an existentialist, if you're a person who believes that, hold on a second, if I lose my job, the world is going to end, I'm going to... To Tolu's point, it's never usually as bad as we think it's going to be. It's like, oh, if I lose my job, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose my house, lose my car, lose everything. They're going to take my kids away. That's the end. Mm. Maybe one in a million that, you know, that path will actually play out the exact way it plays out in your mind. What usually ends up happening is something glorious or oh, I didn't know. Oh, I told my friend I got made redundant. My friend ended up introducing me to this person who ended up introducing, like this podcast happened because I told a friend. Mm. A friend said me, Tolu. Mm. Um, even a, even how the podcast started. Mm. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, this has happened. What am I going to do? Uh, talk about it mm. on a microphone mm. with a camera f- pointing at my face. Mm. Like, And now when opportunities come out of that, you couldn't have scripted it. You couldn't have made no. this up. No. So it, w- it would have been easy to be like, I got made redundant. What do I do now? I kind of switched into how do I make other people who were going through the same thing, give them language to ensure that they might not be able to talk about it, but I can talk about it mm. and I can talk about it for us collectively. Mm. Why do we do that, Tolly? Like what, what, <clears throat> why are we in binary zero one? It's, it's terrible. It's not, it's great. It's ba- like, where where do you think that comes from? And why is that as toxic as I think it is in my mind? I think because we're taught, even in school, you're right or you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you can show your work and get extra points, but right, wrong, pass, fail. But actually the world is not like that. Mm. The world is fluid sure. in terms of like, you know, we we're talking about earlier, 
about, you know, time helps you with your perception. Yeah. So for example, some people get married. Everyone goes, oh, this is an amazing marriage. Blah, blah, blah. This is a great match. Blah, blah, blah. You don't know. You're just saying that from right now. To really know whether they're a successful marriage or not, you need to go to the end of their lives and see, did they stay married? Did they stay happily married? Yeah. Was there a, you can't tell that at this point in time. So it's kind of like, it could be good, it could be bad. We can be happy for them, but this isn't the end. This is the beginning. And it's kind of like the same thing, like, okay, I've lost my job. Is it good or is it bad? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. Because I've heard stories of people who were made redundant, right? And then when they connect with their old people, the company's now a terrible place to work for. So was it good to lose your job or bad to lose your job? Depends. And this thing of it depends, we're not comfortable with. We're not comfortable with it might be good, it might be bad. But we need to become comfortable with that. What I would like people to do is have a think back to something you were very afraid of happening, right? You might be thinking of a hundred things. How many of those things actually happened? Probably not very many. When those things did happen, were they as bad as you thought they would be? Or were they worse? There's going to be somewhere it was worse than you thought it would be. But the majority weren't going to be as bad as you thought. Yeah. And this is the thing that we kind of forget sometimes is that the fear of something is usually worse than the actual thing itself. And that's what we really need to be careful of. One thing I loved about what you did is that you were in a hurting position. And one of the things you thought about is how can I serve somebody else? Right? There are other people who are going to be like me, who are going to have this same feeling. How can I give them the language that they need to start working through? How can I give them something? And that is often where so much comes from, is that desire to serve other people. And that's so important. Even when you're in a bad situation, how can you serve somebody else? Because actually, once you get your mind off yourself onto someone else, that helps with the process. You'll also find out that actually some people have it way worse. My situation is not that bad. You know, you actually find that, okay, I can help some people, which also builds you up as well. Mm. And that's one of the things I love about the way things work is that as I give to other people, there's a natural like giving back to me anyway, because even just seeing how happy someone is from a conversation, I love that. You know, whether I wanted that from the conversation or not, seeing that response is amazing. Mm. So when you're in that situation, serving other people or helping others or adding value to other people, that's so, that's such like a medicine for us yeah. as humans. Like we all feel good from that. And there's a reason for that because that's what's meant to happen. But that's sometimes what, when we're in the bad situation, we lose that. We go into, oh, I need to protect what I've got. I need to figure out how to, no, go help someone else. It's not even gonna take all your time, but go do something for someone else. And also what I loved is that you took action. Because for me, like action solves so many things, just taking action. But sometimes after those scenarios, we don't take any action. You know, we're almost scared to take action because, well, I got this job and then I lost it. So da, 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 da. Mm. Might not even be your fault, <clears throat> right? Might not even be your fault. So one of my friends, he was working at a sales company. He was working in sales at a company. He was one of the top performing salespeople. Yeah. They still got rid of most of the sales team. That's not his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. But that's what happened. So sometimes we take it so personal. Like it's about me. It's not. Sometimes it is about you. But mostly <laughs> it's not actually about you. There are so much other things going on. It's not really about you, but sometimes we take it so personal and that's what hurts us. That's what stops us from getting through to the next bit, which is like, okay, what can I do? I have a theory that societally, that's probably one of the only responses that we're prepared for. And the reason why I say that is I, um, 
when I share with people in terms of like their career and where they're ending up, I say, are you aware that, I mean, for the majority of us, where we've ended up today is the result of our 14 year old self. Because mm. when we were 14 doing our SATs, we chose our options mm. and our options mm. were for GCSEs determined mm. A-levels. A-levels usually determined our degree. Our degree usually determined whether we do a master's or a grad job. So you get someone who's 35 years old, 40, 50, and it's just like, I'm having a midlife crisis. Why? Because I'm still appeasing my 14 year old self. Mm. And I don't think that this is what I want to do anymore. Mm. Or I don't mm. think I ever wanted to do this at all. Mm. And I say all of that to say, imagine a world where from, you know, from nursery into, um, you know, reception year one, year two, into primary school, into secondary school, into college or sixth form, into degree. We've basically been primed and prepared for this moment, you know? You're going to do all of this, get all of this education. Mm. Then you're going to go out into the real world and you're going to get a job. Mm. And then that job is going to provide all of these things for you. And then once you finish in that job, you'll retire and then you'll die. Mm. The linearity of that worldview, mm. I think unfortunately puts us in a position where here comes Tolly mm. saying, hey, that's not the way the world works. Some things are good, some things are bad, some things are, I can't even get my head around a reality mm. where I don't, like I've been following this path up until now. Mm. We don't, I mean, un unless your parents are, you know, the 10% of um, parents you like homeschool and stuff, we don't really get the choice to opt in or opt out yeah. from this train that we're on. Yeah. You know, the Jubilee line is not going to veer off right. and take you, mm. oh, um, do you mind making it? No, it's going to go from Stratford to mm. West Ham mm. to, you know, so here comes someone who in their liberty is able to say, I know that this is the path that everyone goes down, but did you know that it's not as prescriptive as you think it might be? Mm. That puts the fear of God in us. But what is it that we're afraid of? We're afraid of the answer and I, I i know what i know where this is <laughs> I know what, what are we is, afraid of i know where this is going but we are afraid I, i'm speaking for the masses we are afraid of the uncertainty attached to a path that either a we haven't gone down mm. b we haven't seen too many people go down mm. or three we have seen people go down and fail and i don't know whether we're prepared to be the exception so the failure one is I think one of the biggest things. So I think uncertainty and, and failure are what most people are afraid of because those paths that you described, they're pretty certain, right? They're mm -hmm. pretty secure until they're not. And the world we live in right now is where Facebook people, the best in the world, Google people, the best Apple people are getting fired. Apple people and Google people who you think, no nah, man, they're like, they're different levels. They're getting fired. Nothing is secure. Nothing is certain, nothing is guaranteed. So for me, it's like, that's a bit of a myth. Those old careers that people looked at and stuff like that, people still got fired back then. Not in the same degree as they do now, but those jobs aren't secure and they're not certain. They're just not. And that's what we're afraid of is uncertainty and failure. But we have to be willing to fail. We have to be willing to say, I know I picked this when I was 14, but actually I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Actually, I want to go be a journalist. I want to go do this or that. But imagine the shame that comes with that. Yeah, 90% of my audience are going to oh! be like, Tolu, I don't want to be a what, sorry. <laughs> I don't, 
Eh? I remember. <laughs> I remember when I had to tell people I was an analyst. They're like, Anna, what? What? What does that even mean? Yeah. But now, over time, time has proved out that actually, like, it was a pretty good decision. Yeah. So we have to be willing to say no. We have to be willing to take that embarrassment and actually work through it. Be like, it's okay. Because when you even look at social media, the people that are big on social media, if you look back at their early videos, people either weren't watching them or they were watching them and laughing. Like they were getting embarrassed. If you don't, if you're not willing to go through embarrassment, you don't get the spoils of after. You don't get the victories after if you're not willing to go through embarrassment. Mm. And we're almost like taught to shy from embarrassment and to shy from failure. Why? Like face it straight on, go for it. Try and understand why am I failing? That's a great thing. And that's what you see of all the people who actually made it. You know, like all of our richest people in the world, they failed along the way. Sure. People laughed at them along the way. Like Elon Musk, like people laughed at him about the electric car. And now look at it. And that's what I'm saying. Like you have to, it's, it's almost like the price you pay is embarrassment. You have to pay that price. Yeah. Do you think there weren't times I went into client meetings and I wasn't embarrassed? Of course I had to learn. That's okay. On the basketball court, you think I didn't get embarrassed? Oh, okay. I'm having flashbacks <laughs> of getting embarrassed on the basketball court. Sure. Yeah. But that's the price you have to pay to be great at what you do. And we're not, we're not taught that, but that's the price. We're not, we're not ready to pay the price. Mm. It's just like, a masterclass. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely a master. I'm thinking I might need to put this episode out like, yeah, this one might wait till like March. <laughs> I'm processing. Um, yeah. And it's so interesting because from when I study the lives of anyone successful, mm. I think to your point, you know, failure was a massive part of their journey, a massive part of their story. What it's making me think and what I'm almost wrestling with internally is I don't think we always see ourselves in those people. Mm. So, yeah. And Elon Musk looks like- So distant, so far. Yeah, he, he's so all the far. way over there. Yeah. So yeah. it was easy for him to make big decisions, all that sort of stuff. Listen, I work in Cafe Nero. You're telling me yes. about stepping out, yes. about redundancy, yes. about fighting the fear, about going against anxiety. It's like, yeah, but the successful people, they're successful because, you know, insert excuse here. But, you know. <laughs> and that, but that's what it is though. Yeah. It's an excuse. And that's the thing, like, I'm a massive fan of personal responsibility. Sure. Like, have you actually done everything you can do to tell me it doesn't work? Often, no. Personal responsibility, like, yes, you can say like, well, they had this and they had that, but what about every other person that didn't have this and didn't have that? What about all those footballers who actually like, they're just normal like you? Like, so, sure, some people are like freaks of nature and they're just built like that, but most people aren't. Most of those people could be you. And that's the thing that we're not taught, it's personal responsibility. Personal responsibility is just the biggest thing ever. Being able to say, yeah, it's on me. I can now control something to make that different. Control the controllables. I can't control whether I'm six foot six or six foot eight. Can't control that. I just can't. But what I can control is, do I work hard? Do I put in the extra time? Do I do the things that great people do? So yeah, you can work in Cafe Nero. That's not, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. But are you doing the things to get to where you want to go? They say that if you spend... 18 minutes or something every day doing something, it puts you in like the top X percent of the world. 18 minutes a day. Yeah. 
that's nothing. I spend more time scrolling on my Instagram than I do doing those things that could actually make me better. So for me, it's excuses. We, we like comfort ourselves in excuses like, oh, well, they had this and oh, well, they no, like you could literally go do that. Money in this world is mad to get. Yeah, think about this. Think about, you remember NFTs? Yeah. Yeah, someone made an NFT and got paid millions for it, millions. They're not better than you or better than me. No, some of these people aren't, they're not educated. We're Nigerian, right? Education is like our big savior. No, some of these people are uneducated mm. and they are making millions. Money in this world is not that hard to get if you really try. It's yeah. really not that hard. Yeah.